Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Genesis chapter 42. Now, before we jump into that, just a quick, very brief review. Last week, we were going through chapters 40 and 41, and this is the the record, the history of Joseph's life after he was sold into slavery, particularly with Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard, and also the captain of Uh, of the prison where Joseph would eventually be imprisoned. He goes through all this hardship. And what we see there and what we talked about last week was really his example of being a servant of God in all circumstances, having the heart of a servant, especially amid difficulties. And, And this is an excellent lesson for us because it's not a question of if we are going to have trials and difficulties, right? Jesus prepared us as disciples. In this life, you will have troubles, right? All those who are godly in Christ should expect persecution, right? So we know that this is part and parcel of our function as followers, as saints, as those who would make disciples. So then how do we deal with life and those circumstances when we can't make sense of them. And that's where the anchor, the anchor that we have in God and His Word, the truth, uh, really anchors us in those moments that says, okay, there is a God, and even in this, there is some purpose, though A may not understand it at the moment. And we see this in Joseph's life here. Though unjustly accused, he suffered faithfully, he endured and thrived, as he pointed others to God and even rescuing those entrusted to his care. We see that foreshadowing or that picture or image of Christ through his life. And one of the things we talked about last week is the greatest news that un- unlike Joseph, God is able to preserve the innocent and rescue the guilty. And that's, that's good news for me. That's a good, good for news for all of us because we are all Guilty. There's none of us, not one righteous. The father sent his son into prison, as it were, into a human form to be unjustly punished for the sake of the guilty that he might rescue the guilty as surely as he preserves the righteous. And so we have this great picture through his life. And we ended our time last week with communion, and we asked the question, are we willing to be faithful servants? No matter the circumstances, are we willing to be faithful servants to be found worthy of the name by which we are called in those trials, in those difficulties, worthy of the name in which we're called? Because if we are, if we are those kind of people, then we will need to be that kind of people, actually, because we need to be full of God's compassion and grace, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. In, in chapter 42. We're going to do a lot of reading, so bear with me. 
follow along. I'm reading from the New American Standard, the 1995 edition, if you're wondering, because there are some different versions of the NASB. So here we go. Genesis chapter 42, starting at verse 1. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. Then ten brothers, <clears throat> then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brother, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now, here again, we, we see the, the weakness of Jacob being on display again. Uh, Benjamin is the only surviving son of his favored wife, Rachel. And uh, that favoritism persists. Joseph is gone, and now he's to really transfer even more of that to his son, Benjamin. And he still doesn't see, as often you and I, we don't see the harm that is being propagated onto our family or our friends and our relationships when we act in these kind of ways. But there's also something else here that's important, understanding both the sovereignty of God. It must be noted that God can and does use natural events or circumstances to move his people in the direction he needs them to go. And in these circumstances, we must continue to ask, what is the Lord trying to show me or teach me? That's the question when we're saying, I don't understand what's happening. The question not to be, not why me, which is where I often land, if you're any like, anything like me, but Lord, what? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do in my life? Psalms 25, 4 through 5 says, Make me, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day. Hopefully that is our heart's cry. Verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sowed to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. Now, we've mentioned this before, that Jesus is this picture, or Joseph is this picture of Jesus. And, and like, like Jesus, Joseph sees his brothers. He knows who they are. Jesus sees you and I and all our messes and failures. He sees us more accurately than we see ourselves. And sometimes we don't. We don't understand what he's doing, and we don't, we're not aware of what he's doing. <coughs> but here's the difference between Joseph and Jesus. Jesus loves us and doesn't hold it against us. He looks at us, and he does not hold those things against us, which he knows, the content of our hearts. And so Joseph says to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, 
you are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. So here we are. His brothers are bowing down before him. He recognizes them. They don't have any clue who he is. You have to think he's now been here close to uh, 21, 22 maybe years apart from them. He's completely Egyptianized. He, he's wearing the garb of the day. He's the, he's the ruler. They would have no clue who he is at all. He's using an interpreter as we we later discover as well. <clears throat> but in that moment, he remembers the dream. As they're bowing there before him, he remembers the dream from chapter 37 where, his, where their sheaves are bowing down to his sheaves. Now, we might ask the question, what's the purpose of Joseph not revealing himself to his brothers? The best we might understand is that Joseph wanted to see if his brothers had changed. And as, as we move through the rest of these sections, I, I think we gain that full understanding. He is testing to see if these men are repentant. He begins by accusing them of being spies to see how they might react. Will they be truthful? Verse 10, then they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Now here's the sad reality. <clears throat> Joseph's brothers... We're not honest men. <laughs> that is the sad reality for you and I. We are not honest people at our core. We all have sin. We've all lied at some form, in some form or another. But here they are. They are not honest men. They're saying, we're honest men. And Joseph's like, I have the backstory. Not so. See, they supposed and they said to Joseph, to his face, but one is dead. But they did not know that. They knew the truth, that they had sold their brother into slavery. They had no clue what had become of them. But a little hard to tell a guy that's the ruler of Egypt, hey, yeah, we're not spies. We sold one of our brothers into slavery. That doesn't bode well for your character. And so they tell another lie. No, he's dead. So to test them further, Joseph's imprisoned them for three days to see how they might respond to a little suffering of their own. Verse 18. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. Now, he's using some very specific language here. He's opening their eyes and ears, perhaps, that they might catch something, but they are completely clueless. 
He says, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, truly we are great guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet he would not Yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Verse 22, Reuben answered to them saying, he's telling, I told you so. Did I not tell you? Did not, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But he, when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So having spent three days in prison, having some time to consider how their brother Joseph might have been treated after he was sold, their conscience begins to break through a little bit of the hardness of their hearts. What they have hidden in darkness for years is now peeking through at the light or the light is shining on it. <clears throat> and and this, this truly is the, the beginning of relief for every one of us as sinners, isn't it? It's when the Word of God confronts the conscience that He has placed in every human being that there is a right and there is a wrong. And, and that's the beginning of a great joy when you begin to understand there is something wrong in my life. As someone once said, oftentimes we must hear the bad news before we can joyfully accept the good news. Luke 12, 2. Jesus said to, said to some of the religious rulers regarding their own hiding of sin, he says, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that, not will, that will not be known. That's Luke 12, 2. But this is also the beginning of reaping what they have sown. Because whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, sin comes at a price, does it not? There is a price to be paid. There is no such thing as a victimless sin. It always harms us, and it always harms someone else through relationship. And of course, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So Joseph, once again, is revealed to be that type of Christ. Grace and mercy are expressed. He feels compassion for them because of their burden of sin. We're going to see this. Just, just as you think about this, <clears throat> As Jesus is there with his friend Lazarus, there in the Gospels, and, and the people watching him were moved when it says he wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. But why did Jesus weep? I mean, he knew what he was about to do, right? He was about to raise his friend from the dead. But what Jesus was weeping over was the effects of sin, that this was even necessary. Because he was there in the garden when Adam and Eve were created in perfection, he knew that mankind was created for all eternity. That was their goal. And here he is now with his friend Lazarus, 
who's experiencing the effects of mankind's sin trickling down generation after generation after generation. And we're going to see this also in Joseph. Joseph sees the weight of sin of, of his brothers, and he longs to relieve them of the burden. Verse 25. Come on, voice, you can hold together. <clears throat> then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money on his sack, in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank. They turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? And that is an important phrase that we'll revisit. So this is an image of grace, an undeserved gift. As one Bible teacher said, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. Because Joseph had suffered greatly so that his brothers could be spared, but he further extends the grace of God by his own will and hand. He gives them grain that they requested, but he also gives them the money they brought and, if you, if you missed it in the, that section, provisions for their journey. So they came to buy, to buy grain to survive, to buy corn perhaps, but he gives them the money, the corn or grain that they had asked for, but also supplies them with provisions for their trip. So that's more than enough. They open the sacks, they find their money there, but this is not good news to them. You see, God is guiding the heart of Joseph. This is the thing that was mentioned last week, that God was with Joseph. He is still with Joseph now here in this place of power. He is still surrendering and submitting his life to God. And thus God's kindness to the brothers are those coals, those coals of kindness that he's heaping on their heads. That's kind of like burning through that hard, baked, hard heart. This passage also can serve as a reminder of the gifts of Christ as we've been going through 1 Corinthians. They are undeserved, aren't they? And often unknown to us. And they're more than we can imagine. He repays us according to his kindness, not our goodness or lack thereof. This is also that picture of mercy, not receiving the penalty justly deserved. But as I mentioned before, verse 29, sadly, the guilty heart cannot even accept the grace of God with joy. It seems like a greater burden because in the back of their mind, all they can think about is, we dodged a bullet, but now they open their sacks and like, we're being set up. They don't see it as a kindness. They see it as a trap. And isn't this true when our heart is sick with sin, how we view the goodness of God? We can sometimes view the goodness of God as a trap because our vision is so distorted. 
And, and here they are. They can't see it as the goodness of God extended, the kindness of God. Verse 29. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that he had, had happened to them. I, I will say this, not all. They didn't say everything. The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies for, of the country. But we said to him, <clears throat> we are honest men. We are not spies, second lie. <laughs> we are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no longer alive, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan, third lie. The man, the Lord of land, has said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Now it came about as they were emptying their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were dismayed. Their father Jacob said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. I want to take note of verse 36 in particular where it says, Jacob says, all things are against me. He's been told a pack of lies and he's believed them. The question for us is, do the lies told to us have power over us? Do we buy them at face value or do we seek the Lord? Does the lie propagated or pushed upon us destroy us and others? Because it's guilt and fear that often overshadow the goodness of God when it's not confessed and when it's not rejected as a lie. And this is a powerful thing. This is why we are to be in an abiding relationship, that close fellowship with Jesus Christ, that we might know that, and when I say being told a lie, that when we might know when things don't line up with God's word, that we would know the truth from a lie when it comes to who is God and who we are. Because by the time it gets here, Jacob now is like, everything's against me. My wives are dead, my sons are a bunch of jackals, and the two that I really love are gone. This is quite a problem. Verse 37, it says, Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you'll bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Reuben, for a moment, takes responsibility. But here's the funny thing. Reuben was somewhat innocent. Uh, that's saying you're I'm mostly pregnant. Well, you're either all pregnant or not. Right? No. He at least had gave a shot at convincing his brothers. But it is no less eating him alive. 
And so he offers his two sons, his two heirs. Again, it's just another crack, another chink in the armor as, as their, their, their armor the, around their soul and their heart is being broken apart. But here's the other sad part. The brothers recount the trials of their journey, but they still fail to confess their sin to their father. They acknowledge it in front of Joseph, but they cannot bear to speak it to their father. And this is that picture, that difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow says, ah, I'm so sad that my sin has caused me discomfort and discomfort to others, but I am not about to take responsibility for it. Godly sorrow says, I don't care what the cost, it's mine. I will step into that. I will take responsibility. I will come to the Lord who is gracious and merciful, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in kindness. But you don't see that with the brothers yet. Chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, so it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, saying, however, saying, the man solemnly warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with us. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy your food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Think back to the words of God to Cain before he kills his brother. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Here's the problem. These guys know the price for sin is coming due. But they can't let it go. They're terrified of the reality of that. The price of pay, sin must be paid, and it will eat up all our reserves and still want more. Do we know that? Sin is a, has a never-ending appetite. Verse 6, then Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly by telling, me, telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, the men questioned particular about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? Judah said to his father, Israel, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, we as well as you and all our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. And you may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Now, as the instigator, as it were, of the plot to sell Joseph, Judah finally takes some level of responsibility for his sin against Joseph and rather than the offer the life of his children as Reuben did, he goes one step further and he says, take my life. 
and I will bear the blame forever before you. He's saying, count it against me, no inheritance. I get nothing. I will take full responsibility. And really, that's the first spark of repentance in Judah's, in Judah's life. Think about it. I mean, he, his sin with Tamar, which we studied a few weeks back, and, and then this plot with Joseph. <coughs> but there's this spark beginning in his life. Then their father, father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry them down to the man as a present. A little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise, return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your brother, other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Wait just a second. I'm going to pop this cough drop in here. <coughs> now, Jacob has used this tactic before, this idea that He's going to appease someone. He did this in uh, Genesis chapter 33 with his brother Esau, where he sent this lavish gift ahead, and so he thinks, hey, that worked once. That was a good way. It's actually a solid biblical principle. It extends from Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So he's like, hey, let's do what we can. But he makes this statement, he says, and may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of this man. Wow. Little did he know what was coming down the pipe. So the men took this present, and they took double the money in their hand, and Benjamin, then they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to his house steward, Bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money that we re was returned in our sacks the first time that we were being brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves and with our donkeys." Now, again, we're, we're, we're seeing more layers to this, this typology or this foreshadowing of Jesus through the life of Joseph. Joseph wants more than just obedience. He desires restoration of relationship. He desires, he's remembering the visions and dreams that he had before. He knows there's still something to be fulfilled but he desires this relationship. He desires to see his brothers unburdened of the anguish that's in their heart, but he wants to see, is it more, more than just lip service? He wants fellowship, so he invites them into his home. But again, because of their guilt and shame, the brothers can only react in fear 
And fear is one of the greatest liars, is it not? Fear is one of the greatest liars in our lives. It can freeze our hearts. It can keep us from hearing or seeing the truth. Verse 19, so they came to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, and it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks, and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full. So we brought it back in our hand. We have also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. The steward, he says, verse 23, he said, Be at ease. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. The steward's words were true, weren't they? God arranged all these events. We know this. We can, we can read the story after the fact. We know that it was really God who orchestrated these events, and we're going to see that more fully. All the gifts, they were born from an obedient and a faithful son through years of heartache to accomplish God's plan. Back to our passage, verse 23, the end of it. Then he brought Simeon out to them, that being Joseph. Then the man brought the men, oh, I'm sorry, that's the steward. Then the man brought the men into the house, Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys fodder. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they would eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. So now all the brothers are present. Chapter 37 His first dream is being fulfilled right here. But for for the brothers, (coughs) they're approaching Joseph with a lot of fear. They are certainly not expecting the kindness nor an abundance of grace. Because again, fear, guilt, Shame has clouded their vision. Like these brothers, you and I, when we come to Jesus with humility, we find him more than willing to shower us with good things. Amen? That when we come to him in brokenness and humility, he is, we find him waiting there for us. Verse 27, then he asked about their welfare and said, Is your old father well, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They bowed down in homage. As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlled himself and said, serve the meal. So they served him by himself. And them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. 
He took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Now think about this. He sees his brother, which the last time he saw him, Benjamin was probably just a little, little tiny guy. He's now potentially maybe in his 30s, married. He's a young man. And he's overwhelmed with emotion. He steps out, composes himself. But prior to this, he had arranged everything down to the last detail. He arranged their seating in birth order. As verse 33 says, this was not lost on the brothers, was it? I had to do the math. I'm not a math whiz, by the way. I used one of those online calculator programs. The odds of him getting this right is 1 in 39,916,800. So they were astonished. There's a lot of combinations. And he got it perfectly right. But Joseph knew, just as Jesus knows, he knows everything about us. He is able to arrange anything that seems impossible to you and I. But then Joseph does something that is completely unusual. Notice that they're separated into three groups. The Egyptians that served Joseph, Joseph, and the Hebrews. They know Joseph is a Hebrew, but no one's saying anything. Everyone just figured, his brothers figured, well, they're just not eating with Joseph because he's the ruler. But no, they knew. Even in this society, there was a lot of racial separation. But God was going to take care of that. Joseph steps down from his position of authority, from his throne of authority and rule, and took the role of a servant, and he brings food to his brothers, and he brings the largest portions to who? To Benjamin. Why? Again, we're not told specifically, but as this full story unfolds, you see he is testing. <clears throat> I believe he's being led of God to test his brothers to see if their heart towards his brother, Benjamin, is like their hearts towards himself. Are they going to give a sideways glance to Benjamin? You young punk, getting the best stuff. This ain't right. He wants to know the content of their heart. More importantly, Joseph wants them to know the content of their heart. This is what God wants for you and I, for us to know the content of our hearts, that we might approach him rightly, as we looked at even as we looked at that last week when we did communion, that we would pause and say, God, I want to see you rightly and see myself rightly, that I can approach you with, with honor with respect, with awe.
Had their hearts changed, or would they still express that jealousy? But the testing didn't stop there. Chapter 44, the brothers are brought back. Then he commanded his house steward, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food and as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Put my my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As soon as it was light, the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. They had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, Up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is this... Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be the Lord's slaves." So he said to them, Now let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried each man to lower his sack to the ground. Each man opened his sack. He searched beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Here's a telling moment, verse 13. Then they tore their clothes, and when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. Here is the heartfelt change. The brothers finally stand together as one. Together they will rise or fall, being confident of their innocence in the matter. They offer the life of the offender and also themselves as slaves. They're like, listen, if one of us goes down, we're all going down because we're all guilty. However, the steward does not agree to their demands. Rather, he requires only the offender to be the slave. Nonetheless, the brothers, once it's discovered that it's Benjamin, they return with Benjamin. They're not going to give up Benjamin without a fight. This change of heart. Doesn't matter that Benjamin's the favored son. No, it's time to pay the price. Verse 14, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that a man such as I can indeed practice divination? So Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are the Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. This is the first confession of guilt for what has been done to Joseph. Joseph knows what Judah is referring to. But Judah doesn't know that Joseph knows. It's, but it's the first confession of guilt. And this moves further on the heart of Joseph. Joseph declares what God said. He will not punish the just with the unjust. Verse 18, then Judah approached him and said, Oh, my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ear and do not be angry with your servant for you are equal to Pharaoh. 
My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, and so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, However, unless your youngest brother comes down with me, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant and my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, Go back, buy us a little food. But he said, We cannot go back if our youngest brother is with us, is not with us. Then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up with the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? Here it is. He's confessed to Joseph his sin. His iniquity, as he said. He's now confessing the lie that they told their father. Why does Jacob think he's dead? Well, because we played it off that he was torn by an animal. More cracks. The lie is coming unraveled. The weight of guilt is pressing and crushing now the lie. But we also see Judah's care not only for Benjamin, but also his father. And this is more evidence of a changed heart. When our sorrow and our sin begins to be seen as affecting others. But in Judah, we can also see this little bit of a picture as he offers himself to pay the guilt and the penalty of the many so that others could be freed. Chapter 45, here we are. I think we're going to make it. Then Joseph could not contain himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with them when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer for him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I bet they were. So we know this. Joseph took a few moments to reveal, took some time to reveal to himself. What this looked like, we don't know. Perhaps he showed them some identifying scars in his body. He revealed some details, maybe like, hey, remember when you throw me in the pit and then pulled me out half naked and sold me off to the Ishmaelites? That, yeah, that was me. But he reveals all, this thing, all these things to him. But this only creates more worries for the brother. It says they were dismayed. Why? The fear of retaliation. 
but it's also now mixed with sorrow for what they have done. This is also a little picture of what's going to happen in those days when Christ returns. Zechariah 12.10, And I will pour out the ho- on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of su- supplication, so that they will look on me, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. It's just a peek behind the curtain when the Jewish people will see Jesus as he was and as he is, the betrayed Messiah. They're seeing Joseph as the betrayed one. And their concern is, what's coming next? However, Joseph's heart was for them. And this is the heart of God for everyone who would come in brokenness and repentance, isn't it? He is for us. The evidence was overwhelming. His brothers were changed men. Desperate to right the wrong and accept the penalty, they were kneeling in humility and pleading to take responsibility. And that's how Jesus wants for you and I to come. No demand of fairness or expression of entitlement, just raw humility that recognizes we deserve what is coming. But we also acknowledge who we are coming to. And when we do that, we discover a faithful and loving God. The Creator, as I mentioned last week, described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, one who is patient, kind, does not take into an account the many, many wrongs suffered at our hands, has endured all things, bore all things, the sin of the world, but whose love for us never fails. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. It's been 23 years since he was sold into slavery. And 23 years later, God is just now revealing his plan. How long have you and I waited for the revelation of his plan in some circumstance in our life? Don't lose heart. He is still working in us, through us, and through the events of this world. But he also, God, here's the amazing part, God uses even wickedness, unrighteousness to fulfill his plan. Psalm 76.10 says, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. 
This is referring to the idea that even the worst acts of human beings, God can use that to draw, and He did this. The wickedness of His brothers, they were like, there is no good thing in that family. But God is going to break them one by one. And He used all of this to bring them to a place of safety because there's still five years to go. God knows what's coming, and He's preparing a place for them now. As we said before, God wastes nothing. Even rebellion, anger, murder, jealousy, and betrayal are used by Him. Isn't that what happened to Jesus? From generations past to present-day, believers and unbelievers alike have been confused by tragic events of their times, often unable to see how God can use them. I don't know if you've looked at the news lately. That is one depressing thing. And I'll admit, there's times like, uh, I'll try to watch just a few little clips here and there, and then I'm like, I got to stop. Because I wonder how in the world could God use this? But God wastes nothing, amen? This record of Joseph's life serves to remind us, as we mentioned last week, to look for the truth God is trying to reveal. The lesson or lessons he's trying to teach through adversity. He is gracious and compassionate, is he not? He is gracious and compassionate, even when we don't feel like it is. Verse 9, hurry and go to my father and say to them, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen. She'll be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to you and come and in your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. This is the joy of restoration. However, sometimes it must be patiently and graciously waded through. We must patiently and graciously wade through the hardships of broken relationships to discover the joy of restoration. Now, would any of us go like, hey, I want to sign up for that? I mean, if you are, you got kind of a sick mind. But, I, but this is the truth. There are times in life where God expects us to wade through the hardships that perseverance produces character, right? The kind of character that is founded in God through Christ, and that character gives us hope. Amen? As much as God wants to change the heart of the sinner, He also wants to change the heart of His saints. And He must prepare us to be His instruments of grace along the way. Verse 16, now when he heard the news, or when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brother had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do not, or do this, load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you'll eat of the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourself with your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. 
Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt, became to the land of Canaan, to their father Jacob. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, when they saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And here we see the picture of God's lavish kindness poured out upon undeserving, sinful people, considering all their needs and desires, and he is planning this time of restoration. He is planning a time of restoration for you and I. And he does this in a rather unusual way. Ecclesiastes 2.26, For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to a sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. Despite all their pagan practices, all their idolatry, Egypt becomes the storehouse for the Lord's provision for his people, and this isn't the last time he's going to do it, is it? You might be able to say, as Paul Harvey said, later on we'll know the rest of the story. In verse 24, Joseph reminds his brothers not to quarrel on the way home. Why? Well, who's going to tell dear old dad? (laughs) Because the news is going to get out. And the blame gain is... Blame game is the next logical play. And Joseph says, don't go down that road. God is warning the brothers through Joseph, you've come clean this far. Don't stop now. Own it. You've experienced my kindness and goodness. Revel in it. You've discovered that there is forgiveness when you confess sin. Revel in that. Know that I'm always waiting there for you. I've prepared a way for you to come into my presence. Joseph is a reminder, an exhortation to remember the feeling of freedom and the joy that comes when you're walking in the truth. When they reach dad, trust God to prepare him and them as they take responsibility. Jacob's words in verse 28 close the matter. It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. They tell him all that took place. They confess their sin. And like the good father in heaven, Jacob directs their thoughts to contentment with the truth. The truth is enough. The truth is enough. The truth will set you free. It almost echoes the words of Jesus when he is there hanging on the cross. It is finished. The payment is enough. 
the debt has been satisfied. And here's where I stand with you tonight. Am I content with the truth? Is the truth enough? Is it enough for me to know that God knows the truth about me and others even when they wrong me? Is it enough that I would release others from the guilt and shame, from the bitterness that I might harbor? Is it enough to know the truth of God in my own heart? Because for certain, I will not understand all of life's twists and turns, but in the moment, with the truth, let's pray and ask God that his word, his truth would be enough. Amen? That we would discover compassion and grace for ourselves and for others. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.